Section 24 of The Sainted Queens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chachilla, Columbus, Ohio. The Sainted Queens by Unknown. St. Elizabeth of Hungary, Chapter 6. And she was strengthened. The blow which threatened to crush her utterly brought healing with it. The bond, which, blessed as it was, had bound her to earth, was broken, and her freed spirit mounted steadily towards heaven, through regions of such entire self-annihilation, such absolute disengagement from all earthly consolation and all human sympathy, that we can only gaze at them from afar. The air of those heights is too intensely pure to be breathed by any but those whom our Lord has made meet by suffering here to stand at once, without passing through the fire, before the glory of his presence." One by one it was every stay removed which could afford any solace to her lonely widowhood. Without one repining thought she let them go one by one, as our Lord called for them, and at last, if she now understood what he wanted of her, she brought him, of her own accord, the last precious thing still treasured in her heart, her beloved children, and gave them up to him, that she might have no love but him. After the first burst of natural sympathy had subsided, which was called forth by the desolate position of the widow of twenty, Old jealousies and prejudices began to revive in the court. Evil tongues whispered to the young landgrave, Henry, that he would be a far better ruler of his father's dominions than the infant heir of his brother, and that it behooved him at once to seize the sovereign authority and expel his fanatical sister-in-law and her children from the country. His younger brother, Conrad, was carried away by the same evil counsels, and, armed with their joint authority, the base courtiers hastened to Elizabeth, whom they found in the apartments of her mother-in-law, and after reproaching her most cruelly with having deceived her husband and squandered his revenues, they bade her, as a punishment for her misdeeds, to withdraw at once from the castle. She begged humbly for a little delay, and the land ravine Sophia, shocked at the cruelty of her sons, flung her arms around her, crying, She shall stay with me. No one shall force her from me. Where are my sons? I must speak to them. But the messengers were inflexible, so, finding all resistance vain, she could only accompany her daughter to the castle gate. The dethroned sovereign was forbidden to carry anything whatever with her, but in the courtyard she found her children waiting for her, with two of her ladies of honor, from whose narrative we learn the details of these days of suffering. The castle gates closed behind her, and strange to tell, not a hand or a voice, save that of her mother-in-law, was raised in her defense. The best and bravest of the Thuringian chivalry had indeed followed their lord to Palestine, yet it seemed scarcely credible that not one lance was left behind for the defense of the widow and orphans of their brave landgrave. Not less amazing was the base ingratitude of the inhabitants of Eisenach. The landgrave Henry had issued a proclamation forbidding anyone, on pain of his severest displeasure, to give food or shelter to his sister-in-law and her children. To the shame of humanity he was obeyed. The exiled princess went from house to house, knocking at the doors of those whom she had visited in their afflictions, and fed in their hunger. Not one was open to her. At last she found shelter in a miserable little inn, the owner of which could not, or would not, turn her from the doors. For, as she said, an inn was open to her as to all the world. They have taken from me all that I had, said she, weeping. I have nothing left me now but to pray to God. The host assigned for the resting place of herself and her children a kind of outhouse, in which she usually kept the pigs. He drove them out to make room for the land ravine of Thuringia, the royal princess of Hungary. But, as if this last degree of humiliation had suddenly restored peace to her soul, she had no sooner entered the vile resting place assigned her than a supernatural joy seemed to penetrate her whole being. She remained thus till midnight when she heard the bell of the Franciscan church hard by, which she had founded during her husband's lifetime, ring for matins. She went thither to assist at the office, and when it had concluded, she begged the friars to intone the Te Deum, in thanksgiving for the great troubles which God had been pleased to send her. 
Prostrate at the foot of the altar, while that wonderful hymn went up to heaven, the peace of God, the joy of suffering, the love of poverty, filled her heart to overflowing, never to leave it more. She gave thanks aloud to him, who had been pleased to give her a share in the poverty of his own crib at Bethlehem. O Lord, said she, thy holy will be done. Yesterday I was a land gravine, with houses and castles many. Today I am a beggar woman, to whom no one will give a night's lodging. Lord, if I had served thee better in my sovereign estate, and had done greater alms for thy love, my heart would rejoice this day, but alas, it has not been so. But while the saint rejoiced in her own sufferings, the mother's heart was not proof against those of her children. She heard them crying with cold and hunger. My God, said she, I have deserved to see them suffer thus, and I repent me truly for my sins. My children were born princes and princesses, and now they are lying hungry on this straw. This breaks my heart. As to myself, thou knowest, O God, that I am unworthy to have been chosen by thee to the grace of poverty. She spent the rest of that night and a part of the following day in the church, but the intensity of her children's suffering from cold and hunger drove her again into the streets of Eisenach, to appeal in vain to the charity of those whom she had fed and clothed and provided with every comfort. At last a poor priest ventured to brave the landgrave's anger, and offered her a share of his humble dwelling, but she was not suffered to rest there. An order was sent to her from the court to remove to the castle one of the nobles, who had always shown the greatest enmity towards her. This wretched man shut her up with her whole family in a miserable hole, where they were left to pass the night without food or fire. When the morning came, the saint left this inhospitable roof, saying as she departed, "'Poor walls, I thank you for having sheltered us this night to the best of your power from the rain and the wind.' I would fain from my heart thank your master also, but in truth I know not for what. She went back to her old lodging at the inn, and passed the greater part of the day, even of the night, in the churches. No one, said she, dares drive me hence, for these belong to God. In the extremity of her distress she determined to send her children from her, that they might no longer share it, and that she might not be tempted to sin by witnessing their sufferings. For, says a contemporary historian, she loved her children to excess. So the poor little ones were taken away by some unknown friend and concealed separately in various places of safety. Now that the dear saint's heart was eased from anxiety about them, her own sufferings seemed easier to bear. Having pledged all the valuables which she had about her, she gained her poor livelihood by spinning, and contrived even now to save something to give to those whose poverty was greater than her own. But neither her tender charity nor her heroic patience seems to have had the smallest effect upon the iron hearts of the people of Eisenach. Not a single trait of gratitude or compassion has come down to us to relieve the dark picture of their baseness. Some even went so far as to mock and insult their benefactress. An old beggar woman, who had long been the object of the saint's unwearied care, met her one day, begging her own bread in the streets of Eisenach. They came at the same moment to a stream of muddy water, still pointed out as one of the scenes of the dear saint's sufferings. It was crossed by means of a few stepping stones. Instead of allowing the princess to pass, the old woman rudely pushed against her, and cried out as she fell into the noisome stream, "'Well done! You may not live like a land ravine when you were one, so you may lie there in the mud for me, for I am not going to help you up.' Elizabeth arose as well as she could with her wanted patience and meekness, and said, laughing at her own fall and the mud with which she was covered, "'This is for the gold and jewels I used to wear,' and then, as her historian tells us, she went, full of resignation and unmingled joy, to wash her soiled garments in the stream hard by, and her patient soul in the blood of the Lamb. But though all men forsook her, the Lord forsook her not. In this period of her extreme desolation, he vouchsafed to her the most abundant revelations of his love. Isentrude, the most beloved of her companions, who was with her through all this dreary time, saw her often in ecstasy. On Christmas Day she was thus wrapped during Mass. On her return to her miserable dwelling, after a slight collation, she sat down on a window seat and rested her weary head on the bosom of her beloved companion. Isentrude thought that she was ill and wished to sleep, but she soon saw her face kindle and a heavenly smile play upon her lips. Presently it was succeeded by a flood of tears, 
and then by an angelic expression of joy. And so, in these alternations of supernatural joy and sorrow, she passed the time till Compline, her head still resting on the heart of her friend. Towards the end of this silent ecstasy, she exclaimed, Yes, Lord, assuredly, if thou wilt stay with me, I will stay with thee, and will never be parted from thee. When she came to herself, Isentrude implored her to tell her the meaning of these words, and what she had seen in her ecstasy. Elizabeth was loth to tell her secret from humility, but at last yielded to the entreaties of her faithful friend. I have seen heaven open, said she, and my lord, the most merciful Jesus, has been pleased to abase himself to me and to console me for all my sorrows. He spoke to me with ineffable sweetness, calling me his sister and his friend. He shewed me his most holy mother, and also his beloved apostle, St. John, who was with him. At the sight of my divine Savior, I was full of joy, and when he turned away as if to leave me, I wept, because I deserved not that he should stay with me. Then, turning upon me his compassionate eyes, he said, Elizabeth, if thou wilt stay with me, I shall surely stay with thee, and never be separated from thee. And immediately I replied, Yes, yes, Lord, I will stay with thee, and never be separated from thee, whether in weal or woe. And from that moment these divine words were engraven on her heart in characters of fire. On another occasion, when she had received some affront of so cruel a nature as to ruffle the wanton patience of her spirit, she sought relief in fervent prayer for her persecutors, and besought our Lord, with many tears, to bestow a favor upon them for every one of the insults which they had heaped on her. As she wearied herself with the fervor of her prayer, a voice replied, Thou hast never offered any petition to me so acceptable as this. It has pierced to the bottom of my heart. Therefore do I pardon all the sins which thou hast committed throughout the whole course of thy life. And then the voice went on to enumerate all of the sins she had ever committed, saying, I forgive thee this sin and that. Elizabeth exclaimed in amazement, Who art thou who speakest thus to me? And the voice answered, Even he at whose feet Mary Magdalene knelt in the house of Simon, the leper. Afterwards, as the saint was deploring the loss of her usual confessor, our Lord appeared to her and assigned her St. John the Evangelist, to whom from infancy she had been devoted as her confessor, and to him she made her confession with a joy and consolation she had never before experienced in the tribunal of penance. The most minute details of our Lord's sufferings were made known to her. Once, as she was in prayer, a hand was suddenly opened before her, which she knew by the scar in the middle to be that of the Son of God. It was of a dazzling whiteness, but extremely thin, and the fingers very long and slender. The well-known voice told her the cause of this extreme thinness. I was exhausted by nightly prayer and vigil, and by my daily toilsome journeys through city and country to preach the kingdom of God. The tender heart of Elizabeth was wrung with anguish when these visions brought before her the thought that her sins had inflicted all these sufferings upon that divine victim, but he bade her to be comforted. Grieve not thyself, dearest child, said he, for all thy sins are forgiven thee. Know that I have been punished for them in every member of the body and every faculty of the soul, whereby thou canst ever have offended thy Creator. Know that thou art thereby made pure from all sin. If it be so, replied Elizabeth, why can I not cease to offend thee? I have not sanctified thee, said our Lord, to such a degree as to make thee incapable of sin, but I have given thee grace so to love me that thou wouldst rather die than commit it. Not content with these gracious communications of his love, our Lord placed his suffering child under the special care of his mother, who vouchsafed to converse with her with the most loving familiarity. As the forlorn exile was meditating one day on the flight into Egypt, a fruitful theme of contemplation for the outcast and deserted, she inwardly wished that some holy monk would come and unfold to her all the deep meaning of that mystery. Immediately our blessed mother was at her side. If thou wilt be my pupil, said she, I will be thy mistress, and if thou wilt be my servant, I will be thy lady. Elizabeth replied in joyful awe, Who are you who claim me for pupil and servant? I am the mother of the living God, said Mary, and I tell thee that no monk can instruct thee better than I. At these words Elizabeth clasped her hands together and stretched them out in a token of homage toward the mother of mercy, who took them between her own and said, 
If thou wilt be my child, I will be thy mother, and when thou art well instructed and obedient, as a good pupil, a faithful servant, and a devoted daughter, I will give thee back into the hands of my son. Shun all discussions, shut thine ears to all the evil that is said of thee, and remember that my son was forced to fly into Egypt to escape the snares of Herod. Another time, as Elizabeth was weeping bitterly that she so imperfectly fulfilled the precepts of her heavenly mother and mistress, the consoler of the afflicted stood again suddenly by her side. My child, said she, why this vehement distress? I did not adopt thee for my daughter in order to do thee harm. Be not discouraged, because thou hast not fully observed my precepts. I knew well beforehand that thou wouldst surely fail therein. Say my salutation once, and this offence shall be forgiven thee. One night, as Elizabeth was reciting the Ave Maria, she who was thus invoked appeared to her and said, I will teach thee all the prayers which I was accustomed to say when I was in the temple. I asked of God in the first place to give me grace to love him and to hate my enemies. There is no virtue without this absolute love of God, by which the plenitude of grace is infused into the soul. Yet it will not remain there, but it will flow away like water unless the soul hates its enemies, that is, its vices and sins. Let him, then, who would preserve grace from on high, learn to reconcile this love with this hatred within his heart. I would have thee do all that I did myself. I used to rise at midnight and prostrate myself before the altar, where I asked grace of God to observe all the precepts of his law, and I besought him to grant me all the graces needful to render me pleasing in his sight. I prayed especially that I might live to see that most holy virgin who was to bring forth his son, that I might consecrate my whole being to serve and venerate her. Elizabeth interrupted her by the exclamation, O oh, most sweet lady, were you not already full of grace and of all virtues? But the holy virgin answered, Be well assured that I believe myself to be as guilty and as miserable as thou thinkest thyself to be, and therefore I prayed earnestly to God to grant me his grace. The Lord, added the most holy virgin, like a skillful musician who attunes the strings of his heart to perfect harmony, had ordered and regulated my heart, my spirit, my soul, and all my senses according to his own good pleasure. I was often carried by angels into the bosom of God, and then I tasted such joy, sweetness, and consolation that I lost all memory of the world below, and I was so familiar with God and the holy angels that it seemed to me as if I had always dwelt in that glorious company. Then, when it pleased God the Father, the angels brought me back to the place where I had been praying. When I found myself again on earth and remembered where I had been, that memory so inflamed me with the love of God that I embraced the stones, the trees, and all created things for the love of their Creator." I wished to be the servant of all the holy women who dwelt in the temple, and I desired to be subject to all creatures, for the love of the Supreme Father of all, and thus it befell me often. And so shouldst thou do also, but thou art ever disputing and saying, Why are such favors bestowed upon me when I am unworthy to receive them? And then thou fallest into a kind of despair, thou believest not in the mercies of God. Take heed that thou speak thus no more, for this greatly displeaseth God. He can give, as a good master, his blessings to whom he will, and as a wise father he knows on whom to bestow them. Sometime afterwards, as Elizabeth was praying fervently, her tender mother again appeared to her. My child, said she, apparently in answer to a difficulty which has occurred to most of us when meditating on the marvelous perfections of the mother of God, do not imagine that I received all these graces without any trouble on my part. I declare to thee that I never received a single grace from God without much labor, continued prayer, ardent desires, deep devotion, many trials, and many tears. Rest assured that no grace ever descends upon the soul except by means of prayer and corporal mortification. When we have given to God what we can of ourselves, however little it may be, he comes himself into our soul, bringing with him those supreme gifts which render it insensible and forgetful of all that it has ever done to please God. We thus become more than ever contemptible in our own sight. What should we do then? Give thanks devoutly to God for all these favors. When he sees the soul to be thus humble and thankful, he makes it promises which far exceed all its secret desires. 
It was thus that he dealt with me when he sent me his archangel Gabriel. And what did I then? I knelt down and joined my hands together, saying, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to his word. And then God gave me his son, and the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. Knowest thou wherefore? Because I believed in him and humbled myself before him. I tell thee these things, my daughter, because I wish to cure thee of thy want of faith and hope. When the Lord has made thee any promise, say like me, Ecce ancilla domini, and abide in the firm faith and expectation of that promise until it be fulfilled. And if it be not fulfilled, say to thyself that thou hast committed some offense against God by which thou hast hindered its accomplishment. On Christmas Eve, as Elizabeth was asking the Lord to give her grace to love him with all her heart, the Blessed Virgin appeared to her again and asked her, Who is there that loves God? Dost thou love him? Elizabeth feared to say yes and could not say no. While she was hesitating what to answer, Mary continued, Shall I tell you who loved him? The blessed Bartholomew loved him, the blessed John, and the blessed Lawrence loved him. Wouldst thou be burnt or flayed alive for him, like them? Elizabeth was still silent, and Mary went on. I tell thee of a truth, that if thou wilt consent to be stripped of all things that are dear and precious to thee, and even of thine own will, I will obtain for thee the same merit of Bartholomew when he was stripped of his skin. If thou wilt bear injuries patiently, thou shalt have the merit of Lawrence when he was burned. If thou shalt give no reply to insults and reproaches, thou shalt have the same merit as John when his enemies sought to poison him, and in all this I will be with thee to aid and strengthen thee. These blessed conversations were concluded by a glorious vision of the Assumption, in which Elizabeth saw her heavenly mother and teacher rise from a tomb fragrant with flowers, and descend amidst a host of glorious angels into the arms of her divine son. End of chapter 6 of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. End of section 24. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.